Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us as we read these scriptures together. Come, bring your understanding and reveal your truth. Open our minds, our hearts, and our souls to all that these words of life offer us. We long to be continually challenged, transformed, and renewed by your word. May we hear your voice of life as we read and draw close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. Listen now as God speaks to you and to me. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The word of our Lord. way. 
always our steadfastness and truth for those faithful to the covenant decrees. The Lord's friendship is for the God-fearing, and the covenant is revealed to Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. It follows on from the passage we had a few weeks back around Jesus' prophecy about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the trials and the tribulations that would accompany the temple's destruction. Our passage this morning picks up right after that. Listen again to God's word for us. Jesus said, But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in a prayer. Gracious Lord, the preaching of your word With the blessing of your spirit, grant that insofar as it is true to your everlasting goodness, it shall be undergirded by your power and by your love. Grant that insofar as it is false, it shall be swiftly forgotten and do no harm. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Today we are turning from a season of thanksgiving to one of anticipation. 
Granted, Advent and Christmas have their fair share of thanksgiving and praise as well, but they are more zeroed in on the saving work of God in and through the word of God, the wisdom and power and creative love of God, taking on human flesh and dwelling among us, full of grace and truth, to rescue us from sin and from death. The word Advent, of course, literally comes from a Latin word uh, that means to arrive at or to come to. And it's in this season that we highlight God's coming kingdom in two ways. First is that inauguration of God's saving work in and through the Incarnation, which begins with God's incredible birth as a baby. But second, in Advent, we also look to the culmination of that saving work of Christ in Christ's return to judge the quick and the dead, to usher in God's complete peace, justice, and love. In the words of the Apostles' Creed, we look ahead to that day when Christ comes from the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, to judge the quick and the dead, the day of forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, life everlasting. In Advent, Similarly, we celebrate in the words of the prophet Isaiah that though the people are walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Or also... In Advent, we're celebrating the things that we sung about in our opening hymn. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find rest in thee, Israel's strength and consolation. Hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. In our scripture reading from Mark this morning, Jesus began to touch on that end time, that second thing we're celebrating in Advent, the culmination of God's saving work. Jesus was talking about uh, the ushering in of God's full kingdom, come to earth as it is in heaven. And as you'll recall from a few weeks back, earlier in this chapter in Mark, Jesus had been making a prophecy about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And some of his closest disciples had asked him for some of the specifics about when that would occur. And Jesus had obliged them and then carried on to describe not simply the end of the temple, but from what it appears in this passage, the end times themselves. Drawing on scriptural language from the prophets Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Daniel, Jesus talked about the lights of heaven, the sun, the moon, the stars ceasing to shine, and the Son of Man ripping through the skies to unleash the angels and collect the elect. Grace Covenant is not too frequently abuzz with such talk. In fact, many of us might find such talk a little bit off-putting, Discussions, predictions, exhortations about the world's end certainly generate gripping television programs for the History Channel. But if you've ever seen somebody proclaiming that the world is going to end on a street corner, you probably found yourself crossing to the other side. 
While we often resonate with Jesus' teachings about loving God and our neighbor, there's something that seems off about the sun and the moon shutting down and stars crashing around our heads. As our daily lives take along, the end of the world seems pretty foreign. Our typical experiences don't seem to suggest such climactic events lie in store for us. And yet, as Christians, we do await them. As Christians, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus calls us to operate with that impending full reign of God on earth in view. Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Mark were, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. And while that phrase, kingdom of God, can conjure up images of territorial expansion, that phrase more tellingly translates as the reign of God or the rule of God. In other words, Jesus is proclaiming the good news that God's rule is breaking into human hearts, into the world, into the strongholds of evil that lie therein. Although there were forces in first century Palestine and forces today that elude and defy God's reign and intentions for creation, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Jesus' ministry, represents the inbreaking of God's saving rule, the inbreaking of justice and peace, of love and forgiveness. And the end time is the glorious culmination of God's invasion and overthrow of the powers of evil. This is the good news and the faith that we profess at Christmas and as we prepare in Advent, that although the arc of the moral universe is long, it does bend towards justice, as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. often proclaimed. And while we might not regularly discuss the actual physical steps leading to that culmination, to that apocalypse, we all long for the day when divine love and righteousness will rule completely over the world when God's merciful hand will fully heal the wounds of injustice and indifference that we inflict on each other day after day, when God's abounding grace will restore creation to its originally intended purposes of peace and harmony. And we know that God's forgiveness to live and lean into that new creation is open to us in and through Jesus' saving life, death, and resurrection. In our scripture passage this morning, though, Jesus also makes a critical point regarding God's full kingdom come and our desire for it. In this passage from Mark, Jesus tells us that even though we long for God's kingdom, our task is not to calculate the date of Christ's return. Jesus did indulge some of his closest disciples with descriptions of the end times, the ones we were just talking about, drawn from the language of the prophets. But he concluded that description by saying, quote, about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And since only God knows when the end will be, it does us no good to try to schedule the apocalypse. Although many early Christians uh, had been sure that Jesus would return within their lifetimes, and although over the past 2,000 years, people have tried to pinpoint apple. Ap- apocalyptic date after apocalyptic date, we're still here, sitting in this sanctuary, going about our lives. Those inaccurate predictions reveal to us that faith in God's ultimate power over sin does not entail knowing the day or the hour when it will culminate in Christ's return. Jesus did not discuss his second coming so that his followers would start calculating, but so that they would start participating. 
Jesus did not call on his followers to look up to the skies, to look up for celestial signs, but to look out to the world around them and their duties in it. After describing the end times to his closest disciples, Jesus told them a parable parable about servants whose master had gone off on a long journey. Before leaving, this master had given his servants authority over his house, as well as specific tasks to carry out in his absence. And Jesus used two telling Greek words in this short parable. The first was one called blepete, which translates most simply as see, but best translates here as look out, beware. This word is a call to attention and carries a connotation of discernment and understanding And Jesus often used it in the Gospel of Mark to urge his disciples to see, to understand his true identity and his mission on earth. The second important word that Jesus used in this short parable was one called Grigorite. And this word translates as wake up, be alert, stay awake. But it also has a connotation of being alive, being animate, being active. So while blepete is a call to see what's going on around us, to not be blind to it, Rigorte urges us to remain conscious and active in what's going on, not to become detached through laziness or weariness. But the question still stands, what precisely did Jesus mean when he used those two verbs? What are we, as Jesus' followers, supposed to be seeing? How exactly are we supposed to be keeping awake? This is presumably not an injunction for another cup of coffee, but instead another one of those wonderful scriptural metaphors. And I think keeping awake means, ultimately, paying attention. It means seeing two things in this world and in our everyday lives. The first thing is paying attention to God's creative grace, and the second thing is paying attention to God's saving grace. God's creative grace is the reality that everything in existence, everything around us, including us, was made with a divine intent and purpose that we were made by love, from love, for love. Paying attention to God's creative grace means taking time to appreciate the goodness of creation, a goodness evident in simple pleasures like walking in the cool of the evening or rejoicing in the explosion of fall colors or spending time with loved ones around a shared meal, as we just did at Thanksgiving. The goodness of creation, God's creative grace, is also evident in the exercise and the development of our talents and skills. It's embracing skilled work and even skilled play that enable you to flow in your constructive creative gifts that God has given you. God's creative grace shines through this fact that God made each one of us individually with our own personalities, our own gifts, our own talents, in the divine image and as part of a good creation. And God gave us as well a role to steward our time and our talents that we've been given in ways that bless us and that bless those around us and in ways that care for the flourishing of life on earth, such as it is here and now. The image in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, of God placing humanity in the Garden of Eden to, quote, till it and keep it, hits on this note of stewardship. As does the image in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, of God proclaiming, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. It comes in that God's command in Genesis 1 to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all of those other creatures. We're made in God's image with image-bearing capacities 
to be creative and constructive, to be caring and loving, to be responsible, and to be spiritually rooted creatures that care and tend, that steward as God's servants the flourishing of this divine creation of which we've been made a part. Of course, we all know, though, all too well, one need only open the newspaper or a history book or look into one's own heart right this red-hot second. We all know that we fall short of this role of stewardship that we've been given. We know that we all fall short of the glory of God, of living and flowing in God's image as we were made to do. The world is not as it should be or as God intended. When it is rife with violence, with injustice, with poverty, with suffering and death, with all of those things driven by idolatries that lie in our hearts as individuals and as communities and societies, whether those are idols for money or power or sex or praise, or even potentially more dangerous idolatries for security and prosperity, wealth and health, not just for ourselves, but for our family, our community, our country. As such, keeping awake entails not only paying attention to God's creative grace, but also the ways that we've strayed from it and the work that God has done and is doing in Christ Jesus to bring us back into right relationship with God and each other. Keeping awake means not simply being a steward of the time and talents and treasures that are in our possession for the glory of God, but also serving as ambassadors of the good news of God's saving grace, that God, our creator, came incarnate as Christ to save us from sin and death, to bring us back into line and love with him, to bear sin for our sake on his back so that we might be brought back to live in peace and harmony and in justice, in love with God and with one another. Keeping awake to God's saving grace means recognizing that when we ran and run from God, God came running after us, Emmanuel, God with us as one of us, to rescue us from the train wreck of our wayward hearts. The saving grace of God is, of course, always embedded within God's creative grace. God came to save the world at great personal cost precisely because God made the world and us and God loves the world and us so much. God wants to see creation in its full glory and bloom, not undercut by sin and death. And this interweaving of God's creator grace, creative grace and God's saving grace comes through really powerfully when you look at and pair together the beginning of Genesis with the beginning of the Gospel of John. Uh, Christine and Carl and Cecilia and Clara read beautifully uh, the beginning of Genesis chapter 1. Um, which reads as follows. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while the Spirit of God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Here, we get the start and the incredible inauguration of God's creative grace. Let there be light, physical, life-giving light in all the goodness that it enables. And then, if you look at the opening of the Gospel of John, which it proclaims about the word, the power, and the wisdom, and the creative love of God as the light of the world, 
The Gospel of John, of course, famously begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. Here we have the incarnate saving light of God coming into the world to bring it back in line with the divine life-giving purposes for which God made it in the first place. In Genesis 1 and in John's 1, we have the creative grace and the saving grace of God dancing together, the light of which each speaks dovetailing together. And I think it is precisely this creative grace and this saving grace of God that we are called to keep awake to, to pay attention to, as we await the kingdom come, as we await the complete restoration of God's creation to full glory through God's saving acts in Christ Jesus. And we can keep awake to these things by not only being faithful stewards of the time and the talent and the treasure that we've been given by God, we can steward those things for God's purposes in the world, and we can be, uh, but we can also, in addition to being stewards, be ambassadors, stewards of God's creative grace, ambassadors of God's saving grace uh, by proclaiming the salvation that we have in and through Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Brothers and sisters, Christ's return could be tomorrow, or it could be a billion years from now. Either way, no matter that time frame, our calling remains the same, no matter what. To be stewards and to be ambassadors of God, stewards of God's creative grace, and ambassadors of God's saving grace. No matter the time frame, we can think and riff on the words of Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 8. We know that whenever Christ comes again, no matter how long, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's been poured out for us in Christ Jesus. That is the promise that we have and that we celebrate in Advent. God's coming incarnate to live and to die and to be raised on our behalf and also God's return to usher in the full kingdom come. And whenever the end does come, or however long it takes, our calling remains the same as we await our Savior's return to be good and faithful stewards of God's creative grace and ambassadors of God's saving grace. To God be the glory, brothers and sisters, forever and ever.
Amen.